Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles, arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. If you missed hour one, encourage you to go back and grab it as a podcast. You can do that at MyFaithRadio.com or you can download the Faith Radio app. That makes it super simple. Oh, by the way, you're going to want to download the app because you're going to want to listen on the app on Saturday. Um, I don't know, replacing some equipment or doing some other sort of radio shenanigans. And uh, for some period of time on Saturday, the actual like radio signal signal um, might be disrupted for some people in some places. And so, am I right, Paul? It's this Saturday that the people are going to want to download uh, yeah, the app. Yeah, sometime Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, so it'll just be, it, get the app. We're hoping it'll only be down for like five, ten minutes. Minutes, minutes. Yeah, that's yes. the hope. But yes. you know, anytime you start messing know. with the with the things, doing some jiggity pokery, you never know exactly what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. That's right. So there's going to be some jiggity jiggity pokery. Yeah, jiggity is a uh, very technical term. Technical. Jiggity pokery. <laughs> some radio shenanigans are going to be happening on that Saturday. That too. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and download the Faith Radio app so that you have a clear, uninterrupted signal always, everywhere, all the time. There you go. How do I do that? You say. Well, you could go to myfaithradio.com. Uh, you could just go to your app store, Faith Radio. You know, you know, you you know what we look like. You could just, I don't know. Uh, subscribe to Mornings with Carmen as a podcast, wherever you listen to those. Okay, uh, here are a few headlines before our friend um, Bill English joins us to, you know, tell us what's going on with the banking world. Uh, all is not quiet on the Western Front. South Korean and American forces um, started 11 days of joint drills. This is called Freedom Shield 23. That started on Monday. Um, It's being held on a scale not seen um, for like six or seven years. It is to counter North Korea's growing threats. Well, North Korea has long bristled at these drills. They think they're a rehearsal for invasion. And so maybe to no one's surprise, um, they countered yesterday by firing two short-range ballistic missiles toward waters off the east coast of um, South Korea threatening the U.S. to turn the Pacific Ocean into a firing range um, if the United States continues holding these joint military drills with South Korea. So um, North Korea said that it fired these two cruise missiles from a submarine, um, issuing a threat to, quote, mercilessly punish the United States over these drills. So it's important to note that North Korea is not actually barred by the United Nations from cruise missile tests, but the launch from a submarine of rockets um, would mark a new step in North Korea's ability to potentially deliver a nuclear weapon that could hit the United States bases in South Korea and Japan. So it is significant, um, and I thought you should know about it. Uh, let's spin the globe a little bit further around. A Russian jet collided yesterday 
with a U.S. drone. Now, U.S. drone here is not like one you would fly in your backyard. It's the size of an airplane, um, and it's being flown remotely. It's an unmanned U.S. Um, you know, aerial vehicle. It's as big as an airplane. And U.S. jets were flying around it, messing around with it, dumping fuel on it. Um, and then they ran into it. And after they ran into it, the U.S. MQ-9 crashed into international waters and is uh, a total loss, unrecoverable. The U.S. State Department has summoned the Russian ambassador to the U.S. embassy to, or, or I guess to the State Department from the Russian embassy to express, quote, strong objection to this intercept. Um, maybe you're going to say here, this is, uh, you know, this is just pilots being shock jocks, right? They're, uh, you know, we've all seen Top Gun. Um, but here's the challenge and the problem we're facing. Um, Russia is putting very unexperienced pilots into the cockpits of planes. Um, by Air Force um, count, there are fewer than 100 fully trained pilots in uh, in Russia's current Air Force. Um, and so the pilots who are flying these jets um, are not prof- – I mean, I just think it's fair to say they're not acting in a professional way because they're not professionals. And so this is when accidents happen. This is when um, – You know, this is when people do things that you can't undo. And so let's be praying for cooler heads to prevail and um, and for peace to be restored. All right. We're going to turn our attention to um, some economic headlines, not only here in the United States, but around the world. Meta is going to lay off another 10,000 employees following the layoff of uh, 11,000 employees last year. So that still continues. Um, The husband of one of my friends was laid off last week and. You know, although there's lots of like we're hiring and apply within signs all over the place, you you see them where you live. I see them where I live. They're largely for entry level or service positions. And lots of the people who are losing their jobs are highly skilled and have specialized experience and expertise. And so let's be praying today for um, people who uh, are looking for jobs that not only are meaningful, but purposeful and make good use of their skills. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Joining me next, Bill English. We're going to unpack some of the economic headlines of the day. is back from bibleandbusiness.com. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, so I don't know. There's like 50 different directions we could go in a conversation <laughs> about um, banking, the banking crisis, uh, Moody's Investor Services, uh, I don't know, moving the entire banking system from stable to negative, uh, downgrading things. Um but you're going to help cooler heads prevail, I think. So why don't you give us a little perspective on um, not only what has happened with Silicon Valley Bank and maybe Signature Bank, Silvergate Bank, but like what's happening with banking? And as long as I've got under $250,000 uh, in an account, um, like I, I don't need to panic, right? 
Yeah, no, you re- you really don't. In fact, if you have two hundred fifty million, apparent, and you're a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, you mm. don't need to panic either, right? Because they just bailed them out. Look, uh, I, so I did a little research here. Over the last eleven years, FDIC says that there's been one hundred twenty-two bank failures. Uh, one hundred seventeen of those banks were what we would call community or maybe small regionals. They had deposits of less than one billion. So uh, the banking system in and of itself, from what I can tell so far, does not have a hidden contagion on everybody's balance sheet that nobody knows about. And, and, and by the way, that is what happened back in you know 2007, 8, and 9, where you had all of these subprime mortgages wrapped up into these uh, AAA bonds that banks have put money into as investments. And it was on everybody's balance sheets. And when the subprimes went belly up, it affected the whole banking industry. I just don't see that here. I don't see that our entire banking system is in peril. Having said that, the emotions of Wall Street are really driving a lot of this right now. If if you think that Wall Street people make trades based on numbers, some of them do, but uh, a lot of them make... make uh, trades based on both emotion and 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 the numbers um most bank stocks are down between 20 and 50 percent if you've got some cash on the sidelines probably a good time to jump in and and pick up some bargains in the banking sector uh and if you were by the way a region if you were a shorter of the regional banks on their stocks you made 3.53 billion or part of that in the last 30 days and so uh, there are people who are profiting from this, uh, but I don't see that the banking system is in peril right now. I really don't. All right. Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, inflation when we come back. Can we do that? Will you yeah. Um, yeah. Will you yeah. help us on that front as well? Because um, that doesn't seem to be getting any better, even though they keep telling me it's getting better. So, all right. Bill English is going to help us um, uh, a little bit uh, understand what's going on. Today, with inflation, um, we might have time to cover a few other economic headlines as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks so much for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Hey, I'm Susie Larson. Hey, if you enjoy what you're listening to here, would you consider subscribing to other great Faith Radio podcasts like mine? Search Susie Larson Live at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit subscribe and have a great day. All right, so supposedly the Consumer Price Index, which is this key inflation barometer, um, says inflation rose by 6% in February relative to a year earlier. Um, and, you know, things like the price of eggs are coming down, but but eggs are still like 55% more expensive than they were a year ago. And so I'm, I, I don't... It, Bill, they tell me it's like so sunshiny, right? Oh, inflation is is less than it was, but it's still crippling for a lot of people. It is, and and the the sunshiny part comes from people who need it to be sunshiny for political reasons. Uh, look, inflation peaked at nine point one percent in June. It was in January down to six point four percent, still too high. Okay, but it is getting better the rate hikes that the Fed has been implementing are starting to take effect, although it takes about 12 to 18 months for the rate hikes to work their way through 
the economy, we're just now starting to see the effects of the rate hikes from a year ago. So um, there's a lot in the in the conventional wisdom uh, crowd that say the Fed should not raise rates when they meet again on March 21st and 22nd. But uh, there are others who are saying, yeah, they're going to raise it a quarter point, maybe a half a point. Uh, and and because now think think about this because of these higher interest rates, we now have deposit rates, CD rates that are starting to be a little bit attractive, and the treasury rates are probably more attractive than even the bank CD rates. Given the instability in the stock market, you're seeing money not go to the flow to the stock market anymore. It's they're now going into some of these more safer um, safer instruments. Uh, there was a, a long period of time when we were at 0% or half a percent uh, interest rates where um, uh, the only place you could put your money to get any real rate of return was the stock market. And I thought it got overheated, became a bit of a bubble. And uh, now we're starting to see that rationalized between bonds, whether they're treasury or private bonds, and uh, and CD rates and that kind of thing. So, to me, this is good. Um, the six point four is too high, but I think we're going to have to live with this uh, for for the rest of this year. I really don't see us getting down to the the Fed rate or target rate of two percent this year. I don't see that happening. I uh, I see hope on the horizon related to yeah. uh, energy. Texas based Conoco Phillips, uh, which is the developer of the Willow Project. Um, got the presidential signature uh, signing off on the Willow Project on Monday. Um, it's an $8 billion project, three drilling sites, 199 wells, um, expected to ge- generate 180,000 barrels of oil every day. Um, it's got broad support in Alaska due to its, obviously, economic potential for thousands of construction jobs and long-term jobs there as well. Um, it's also got plenty of critics. It's a 30-year project um, estimated to, uh, you know, obviously generate wealth for some and energy for others. Um, obviously, there's people protesting because they don't want any part of Alaska's North Slope to be drilled. Um, I don't know. Thoughts just in terms of how how we get to the place where, I mean, obviously, Joe Biden is an anti-fossil fuels guy, and yet here he is ultimately signing off on um, the development of a drilling project in a place that, you know, for a long period of time, some have resisted drilling. I don't know, like him or hate him, he is a pragmatic guy sometimes. And, you know, reality is what it is. We are a fossil fuels based uh, economy and uh, we're not going to go to electric anytime soon fully. It'll take us 30 to 50 years to make that that transition if we ever do it. And so, you know, look, I think I think the guy realizes that that uh, he's he's got to sign off on this. I don't know. By the way, as a side note, if you've ever been on Google Earth and you've taken a look at Prudhoe Bay, that is a growing city. I mean, they have three hotels there and, a, and an airport. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe we should take Carmen's show to Prudhoe Bay one time just to just to do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. No, you can hey, actually you're fly listening, there. Hey, if you're listening there. right now in Alaska, we'd love to hear from you, right? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Text us, 877-933-2484. We've got listeners in all 50 states. Now, whether or not they're listening right now, 
yeah, you never know. But there, <laughs> there you go. I don't there know. It might still kind of be the middle of the night there. Yeah, it's definitely. Well. Yeah, it's getting lighter though. So there you go. Um, Bill, um, what else is uh, is on your mind that you'd like to talk about today? You know, I'll you I'll just about? mention that uh, for Christians, you know, our our tendency in the face of economic uncertainty is going to be to hoard our cash, hunker down. And, and get ready for the storm, right? And I understand that. I'm doing the same thing, but I'm not hoarding. Make sure you're continuing to be generous towards God because that displays a trust in him that he will provide for your needs in the future. And God has promised that. And anytime we act on God's promises, things go better for us. So if you're a Christian and you got money, or just a little money or a lot of money, doesn't really matter how much, Make sure that you're not hoarding your cash. Make sure you're still being generous. Make sure you're tithing at church. Let's trust God for our future. Christ said, in this world, we'll have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And let's let's really put our faith and confidence in the Lord rather than our 401ks. So. Yeah, all of the things that we experience in our own homes in terms of everything costing more, our churches are experiencing that. Um, are the ministries that are in our communities and are helping people um, who are having a hard time, um, those ministries are all experiencing the same kind of inflationary pressures that we are experiencing as individuals. And so give generously every time and everywhere you can. Um, Bill, we've got a person on the text line asking about the relationship between you know, supply and demand or supply chain issues and inflation and interest rates. So Raising interest rates is designed to fix what? The inflation rate. So make the cost, they're, they're, they're purposefully trying to slow down the economy so that, um, uh, oh gosh, my, my thought just left me. I, it's okay. And I'm normally not this way. They're trying to slow down the economy in order to reduce consumption um, and, and, and slow down um inflation because inflation okay, so is when we say demand. slow down so when when they talk about you know cooling the economy or slowing down the economy they are trying to get me to buy fewer things right they're trying to buy- they're trying to back down the demand part of that of that equation right you know and if demand goes up and goods stay the same prices go up but if demand goes down and goods, the amount of goods stay the same, goods and services, then prices come down. They're, they're trying to cool down the demand part of that. Mm-hmm. All right. So hopefully, if you were the person who texted that question, that helps you uh, understand the, the question you were asking and, um, uh, and the answer. So thank you. Um, Bill, um, when's yes. your birthday? January 2nd. Mm-hmm. And do you know your rebirth day? Uh, no, because I was five okay. years old. <laughs> okay, well, see, that's good, though. So not everybody, we, we had this conversation in the first hour, and so now I'm just compelled to ask people. So, because I don't know my exact date either. I'm like, you know, mid-June 1984 is my rebirth day. Oh, um, is it? Okay. And so Mark Turman, who was just on a few minutes ago, he, he claimed today, uh, you know, he's like, well, I got to pick a day because I know it was in March. Um, so I know this is my, you know, like spiritual birthday month. Um, and so he's decided he's just going to pick March the 15th. We had another listener who said, I'm just going to pick Easter. I mean, I know I'm reborn, but I don't remember the particular day. So I'm just going to pick Easter as my rebirth day. So we're just celebrating um, rebirth today. And so, um, yeah. 
So oh, happy yeah, rebirthday, yeah. my brother. Thank you. And, and let's just remind people that every day is a new day in Christ. Amen. Every day is a fresh day to start over. <laughs> Today to is have... your birthday. Da, 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 da. It's my birthday too. Something like that, right? You, you're right. And I bet if if Paul is good enough, he can pull that up as the <laughs> he can music sing it. bed. <laughs> Taking us out of this. Out of this yeah, we probably need some help getting out of it. Um, all right, Bill, as always, thank you so much. You guys can visit with Bill English at Bibleandbusiness.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. It's my birthday. It's your birthday, too. We'll be right back. neighbors how have your neighbors uh changed over the years maybe not just on your street but in your community or in your city are there new houses of worship um who's populating those new houses of worship if you live in a place like dearborn michigan then over the course of time you have seen um a pretty significant population change dearborn michigan is the seventh most populated city in Michigan. It's home to the largest Muslim population in the United States per capita. It's also home of the largest mosque in the United States. So your community might not be quite like Dearborn, Michigan, but my guess is you have taken note of um, of a rise in, um, in Muslim neighbors, in Islamic influence in your own community. Uh, Jim and I were out on Sunday afternoon running some errands and came across a an Islamic center that we weren't familiar with in part of our town. And, you know, obviously we are aware of some, but not all. And so when we talk about um, Muslims in the United States, when we talk about Islam, when we talk about Ramadan, which which the celebration of Ramadan begins at sunset on the 22nd of this month, I think having an understanding of our neighbors would be really helpful here. So we're going to talk with Kevin Singer from Neighborly Faith about being good neighbors to our Muslim neighbors. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. We're talking with Kevin Singer today. He is the president of Neighborly Faith. Um, He comes to this conversation um, as a person who, when he was in college, you know, thought, you know what, we... uh, we got to know more than just the evangelical Christians that we're in class with. We got to know our neighbors. And so that has extended into a ministry. You've probably read some of the things that Kevin has written. If you read across any um, Christian platforms, Christianity Today, Religion News, um, on and on and on. Kevin Singer, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. So happy to be here with you again, Carmen. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Why don't you um, introduce those who are listening who have maybe missed prior conversations? What is neighborly faith? What are and what are some of the ways you guys are helping um, Christians engage with our neighbors? So the vision of neighborly faith is that you can be a highly convicted, passionate, you know, uh, evangelical Christian who is serious about the Bible, serious about the work and redemption of Christ in our world, and yet also be a terrific neighbor to people of other faiths. You don't have to avoid them. You don't have to ignore them. You don't have to uh, hope they don't come into your communities. 
we would argue that in being a Christian who is serious about the Bible and serious about your faith in Christ, you are best equipped to be a good neighbor to, to people who are of the Muslim uh, religion or Buddhist, Hindu, etc. Most of our work, however, is with Muslims. And so I'm glad we're talking about this topic because Ramadan's coming up soon and people might be wondering, could I make an impact? How do I make an impact? And so, uh, you know, I mean, I love how you brought up my story in college. I was in a world religions class and we were watching a video about the Hajj, which is the the trip that every Muslim is expected to take if they're able to uh, to uh, Saudi Arabia once in their lives to the the place of Muhammad. And I remember seeing a video of of the just the emotional outpouring of Muslims on that trip and thinking, oh my goodness! So Christians aren't the only people who really believe strongly in something, something divine. And you know what does that mean? It sounds like all we're talking about, at least in college, was atheists. So what do we do with people who who you know sincerely or believe that they are are following God? So that's really what turned me on to this ministry. So let's talk about Ramadan. Um, let's just assume for a moment. Uh, yeah, I've heard that word, but I don't know yeah. anything uh, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the quick. Yeah. Uh, by the way, if you guys go to neighborlyfaith.org. Um, I particularly like the quick guide to Muslim holidays. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's it's a Ramadan is a month of fasting. And uh, and I'll say this. Every mosque in your community has a fast breaking meal for the public at least once during the month, an opportunity to come and and learn a little bit more about it. I would take those opportunities uh, if you you know, if you're in a place in your faith where you feel strong enough to walk into a mosque setting and and uh, and and retain sort of those convictions while you're there use a lot of discernment but you know muslims are super curious about christianity they take it as a sign of love and good faith for us to you know walk into their settings and uh i've i've had nothing but terrific opportunities to discuss the gospel and uh and and what i believe about jesus in those settings something to look out for for sure okay how would i go about even finding out when the break fast event is at, at a local mosque yeah yeah, so if any of your listeners are familiar, there's a site called Google. I'm just kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so if you go to Google and you look up uh, mosques in your local area, um, you will, uh, or if you just search, you know, mosque near me and you go to their website, yeah. they will probably have uh, an events calendar or something right there on their on their site. Um, again, uh, usually it's some sort of an open house of some kind. Um you know, something else you can do is if you happen to have any Muslims in your community that you're familiar with, maybe they live down the street, uh, maybe they work at a local Mediterranean restaurant, you can say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm I'm just interested in getting to know people who are of the Muslim faith. Maybe you, you'd be honest. I know nothing. I've never met a Muslim in my life. Um, I'm I'm interested in the conversation. And, and, you know, I'd love to love to be a part of one of the fast breaking meals this month you know, contribute however I can, but it would be, you know, my, my, uh, honor to, to be a guest. I think, we, you know, as Christians, we talk a lot about hospitality. We don't always talk about being a good guest and how much of a witness that can be in a culture where people just aren't expecting Christians to show up. So it's, uh, it can be, yeah, the opportunity is there for us if we're willing to take it. We're talking with Kevin Singer from Neighborly Faith. You can find the resources we're discussing and a lot, a lot more at neighborlyfaith.org. Um, Kevin, let's talk a little bit about the lies that we are told about Muslims in America. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, are, they Muslims... all, are, they, are they all sympathetic to terrorism? <laughs> let's just, I mean, I'm just going to jump right no. in, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've met thousands of Muslims, thousands, uh, and conservatives, 
progressives and right smack dab in the center. And if there's anything that they all have in common, it is that they have no connection to nor endorsement of, uh, you know, uh, people who have done terrorism, uh, supposedly in the name of Islam. And uh, if you look across data, Muslims are, are, are teachers in America. There are doctors in America. Um, I, I have uh, some Muslim friends who <laughs> fix my heat and air conditioning unit. That's 25 years old every six months when it breaks down and they don't accept a dollar from me. Uh, I think what's actually quite threatening about Muslims or what you will find to be the only threatening thing about Muslims is how kind they are and how willing they are to serve their communities and how willing they are uh, to, uh, to to be um, people who are are serious about some of the uh, neighborly commands in their religion. And that can actually, in, in my opinion, I've seen that be more of a threat because Christians legitimately have no idea what to do with that. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I mean, I've had moments where Muslims far uh, out out uh, pace Christians I know in terms of hospitality, um, and it's it's quite an impression, and and it may force us to to reckon with some of those stereotypes that we've been taught by perhaps even our pastors um, from the pulpit. Um. All right. Let's. Um. I'm going to ask this question, and you know that I'm asking it rhetorically. Um, sure. Right. Because I I think it's important to sort of ask the questions that people are asking in their heads and maybe they're asking among their friends, but we're not often talking about. Okay, are are they American? Mm. Muslims who live in America, like, right. Are they American? Yeah. So I'll never forget when uh, I met a Muslim. I'll never forget this. Who told me he grew up in the Bronx and he was a Yankees fan. And I thought, oh, okay, so I'm not going to say, where are you from? Where do you shop? Right. <laughs> like, Where did you come from? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A mm-hmm. huge misnomer is that they're all immigrants, or they're all right. first generation, second generation, second generation immigrants. That is, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen great historical studies in the last 10 to 15 years saying, you know, they were some of our, uh, the earliest Americans. They were some of the slaves uh, that came over from the, you know, the tribes of Africa so I mean, Muslims in America have been a, have been a, have been there um, for quite some time. So I think, but here's the thing, you know, you'll you'll hear a thousand progressive organizations say, you know, don't ask a Muslim where they're from. It's not, it's condescending. Blah 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 blah. Most Muslims are kind of sick of the more progressive way of approaching Islam. They are excited to meet conservatives. They're excited to meet people who are serious about their morals, their values, and their convictions. They are nine times out of 10 more excited when a conservative Christian shows up than when somebody who, you know, I love all religions, all religions lead to God. Most Muslims I know are kind of like, okay, we've got enough of those people in our, you know, in our midst who, you know, come, they, they really want people who understand, you know, what's going on in schools a lot of times, you know, with what's being taught and, you know, that that's a threat to them and their values and their community, too. So there's a lot of opportunities, I think, for Christians and Muslims to speak with with a similar voice in politics and society where in terms of where things are going. All right. When we come back, we're going to ask Kevin to talk with us a little bit about um, the diversity among the Muslim population here in the United sure. States of America. Um, I mean, just think about this for just a moment. Uh, you know, if you were to, I don't know, take a fishnet and uh, and just scoop up a bunch of people in your community, 
um, what kind of assumptions would be made um, about all of you? And are all of those things true of you as an individual? My guess is no. The things that are true of the community that you are in are not all true of you. That's certainly true of me as an evangelical Christian in a culture that is not as pro-life as I am, just as one example. And so what are some of the assumptions that we make about, quote unquote, all Muslims that are certainly not true of individual Muslim believers. We're going to have that conversation up next. We're talking with Kevin Singer from Neighborly Faith. You can find resources related to this conversation at neighborlyfaith.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. When you uh, think about what you have in common with your neighbors and the things that make you different, um, some of those are outward appearance. Some of those are the house of worship you attend. Some of those are the preferences for food that you eat. Um, When we're talking about Muslims in our communities, what are some of the lies that we believe that have been led to believe? And how might we as Christians be better neighbors, be real neighbors um, to Muslims in our communities. We're talking with Kevin Singer from NeighborlyFaith.org. Um, Kevin, let's um, let's jump into the question about making assumptions about one another, particularly assuming that, well, you know, all Muslims are the same. I mean, all Christians right. aren't the same. All Americans aren't the same. So why would we imagine that all Muslims are the same? I think there's this thing where we assume that if someone is from another faith, they are really from another faith. In other words, you know, and maybe maybe this is, you know, the, the result of <laughs> some of those felt boards we had when we were kids where, you know, if somebody is, is Asian or African, they are really Asian and really African, and they all wear the same things, and they're 100% uh, sort of, uh, you know, encapsulated by that image. And I can tell you right now, uh, Muslims uh, have as many questions about their faith and other faiths as as a lot of Christians do in terms of, you know, they have doubts, they have uh, concerns about uh, contradictions they might see within their faith, especially, you know, uh, you know, if they're seeing, you know, be certain behaviors they don't understand from faith leaders, just like we have in the church, especially today. You know, how do we understand when faith leaders, you know, sort of go awry? And I mean, there's I haven't met a Muslim who comes to me and says, I know exactly to the T everything I believe about everything, and I can articulate it to you perfectly. I mean, Islam is is uh, is a religion where, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, is it a followed out of fear? Is it followed out of genuine belief? And I don't know if we can get into that conversation today, but I can tell you that I've had enough conversations to know 
if you were to share your faith with a Muslim as a Christian, it would likely be the first time they've heard it from a Christian in their entire lives. Of course, they've heard it from their imams and their friends who are Muslim. They've read the apologetics books against Christianity. To hear your testimony about the work of Jesus Christ in your life would probably be the first time that they hear the story from someone who truly believes it. And so, and and when you have that conversation, if you, I hope you have that conversation, don't be afraid to ask questions like, you know, uh, have you ever had any doubts about Islam? Have you ever had any questions about Islam that you felt have not been answered in a satisfactory way? And in doing so, it's sort of an admission to, to, you know, and a bit of a sign of respect that you're not just assuming that they believe the exact things that maybe you've read in a world religions textbook or in an apologetics textbook yourself. Okay, first of all, you just blew people's minds. There are apologetic books and textbooks against Christianity. We thought apologetics was something we did. We didn't realize that was something somebody else did. What? Right. And yeah. And, you know, for a lot of Muslims, the hang up for them about Christianity is what they believe essentially to be tritheism, which is that there are multiple gods in Christianity. I know your listeners might be bristling at that. Like, well, if they just understood the Trinity. That's why we're here. That's why Christians are here is to help them oh, understand yeah, the deity and, of Christ. Hey, just That's, by the way, yes. um, Christian, Christians are individually so good at explaining the Trinity. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Right? I mean, I'll tell you this. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you study Islam, necessarily, you'll start to study the Trinity more because you want to understand why is it so critical that we have a three in one God, not just one God who stands behind the Trinity, but a God who is Trinity. That is something well, and that, that will, Mary is not among them. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, yes, this is a yes. really important and essential conversation. Yeah. OK. Yes. Um, can I ask this question? So um, in, a, in a conversation with a with a Muslim today, I might need to ask, um, well, first of all, don't we have a lot of Muslims in America who are Muslim, but secular like they're in, in mm-hmm. the same way that we have a lot of people who identify as Christian, but. I don't want to say they're not real Christians because that's not fair, mm-hmm. but they're not Christian in the same way that I think of a fully integrated Christian disciple. They're not operating out of an integrated Christian mm-hmm. worldview. They are mm-hmm. a Christian by like heritage or shadow mm-hmm. of a shadow of a faith. But mm-hmm. uh, so so can you talk about secularism and and yes. people who are Muslim in America? So it's a bit complex. I will say I've met more Muslims who are frustrated by sort of the political catch-22 that they're in, in terms of, well, we don't think conservative candidates want us, and the and the, and the progressive candidates do, but they don't like Islam. And so they are very frustrated by that, by that tension. Um, they, they are so, so desperately want conservative candidates who appreciate the conservative values of Islam. And, and there is some movement in that camp, but you know, I think a lot of times there is a bit of an over exaggeration about how you know secular progressive Muslims are in America because they tend to follow the Democratic Party in elections. And of course, the only, you know, high profile Muslim politicians that many of us are familiar of familiar with, I'm sorry, are uh, Democrats. And so it can it can cause sort of a confusing outlook of, you know, are Muslims becoming secular? Are, are they are they buying into sort of pro-choice, uh, pro-LGBTQ, um, you know, DEI, right, critical race, like, are they are they buying into that? And the answer is, yes, there are small segments who I think 
are 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 joining that probably be just with the baby in the bathwater. But a lot of Muslims are trying to figure out how did we all vote for George W. Bush in 2000? I think it was like somewhat some somewhere between 80, 65 to 80 percent of Muslims voted for George W. in 2000. And now, of course, you know, a, a large majority vote for Democratic candidates. But so so that to me says there is an interesting story going on here. Younger Muslims are more progressive, but also younger evangelicals are more progressive. So it's uh, and again, when we say progressive, we need to put that in context. That might mean that they uh, they may hold to certain, you know, uh, certain issues that have always historically been held by conservatives, but they may be more open to, say, talking about climate change. So there's you know, there's different ways of understanding that. But I mean, yeah, a lot of Muslims have grown up Muslim. They are you know, there is some fear about, you know, how their family would accept them should they not be Muslim. But if we see anything in the story of, say, Nabil Qureshi, you know, God does miraculous things all the time. And the main thing, of course, I want people to take away is you could be that person that opens the door of curiosity for them a little bit wider about what is this Jesus really all about, you know, in the New Testament. Mm. One conversation that I would really like to, like, have and provoke and might be maybe you guys are already doing this in neighborly faith, but like, I would like to bring forward a woman who wears a habit every day because she is a cloistered yep. nun um, mm-hmm. and a woman who wears a hijab every day because mm-hmm. she is an observant Muslim. Um, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I it, it is possible that women are wearing um, these articles of clothing, not only by their own choice, but out of genuine heartfelt reverence um, mm-hmm. in terms of an expression of their faith. And, uh, and I just I don't I have not heard that conversation had in a positive way in in the culture today. And I think that might mm-hmm. be helpful. It, it's it's so interesting. I think for those of us who are conservative leaning Christians, we there sh- there should be a, a bone in our body that appreciates when someone is willing to wear a visible marker of sincere religious faith in America today. Like there should be a bone within our body that says it may not be my exact belief system, but this is a bit of a it's almost a symbol of 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 rebellion even against this, you know, take faith out of the conversation, right? Like take faith out of philanthropy, take faith out of politics, take faith out of, you know, schools, take faith. I think again, I think we've got to be super careful that we're not um uh, that we're not potentially torching friends, potential friends in some of our social and political desires and, and motivations when we say, you know, you know, Muslims are, you know, what do we say, you know, demonic and uh, they're part of, you know, a cult or whatever the case may be. I think we need to broaden our imagination about, you know, what 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 could these relationships mean for us as Christians in a world that's becoming increasingly diverse, I mean, religious minority groups are expected to grow by, you know, several percent over the next several years, which is, of course, mm-hmm. in America, millions of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like this is a conversation that uh, we should have on a more regular basis. So um, thank you, Kevin, for joining us today. Again, you can connect course, with Kevin Singer. Yeah, he's uh, he's on all the socials. He's out there everywhere. Um, you can connect directly with the material we talked about today at neighborlyfaith.org. All right, great conversations today. You can always engage with me via email, carmen at myfaithradio.com. If there's something we addressed you'd like more information on, just let me know. Um, and download the Faith Radio app so you don't miss an episode. 
Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.